Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. We want to conclude our series on the radical Jesus, and I want to speak to us on Jesus being the Lord of our Sabbath. Jesus being the Lord of our, of our Sabbath. Let's open our Bibles, if you have it, to Mark chapter 2 and uh, verses 23 to Mark chapter 3 and verse 6. Mark chapter 2, verse 23, and let's read all the way to Mark chapter 3 and verse 6. If you have a Bible, but otherwise you can look at the screen. Is the screen working? All right. One Sabbath, he was going through uh, the grain fields. And as they made their, their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Lord, uh, look, why are they look, doing what is un- unlawful on the Sabbath? And he said, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of, Ab- of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of his presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for men. I think we should underline that. The Sabbath was made for men, not men for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now highlight those two verses, chapter 3, verse 1. And again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a, with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger and grief at their hardness of heart and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched out his hand and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Now, this is an incredible story. Jesus said that the Sabbath is for men, not men for the Sabbath that a lot of the rules and regulations that we read is for our good and not the other way around. It's not for us to try our best to keep them, but these boundaries, if I could say, that, that God established in the Scriptures for our benefit. And yet Jesus was criticized by the Pharisees for doing good on the Sabbath. In fact, if you read this story, these acts of kindness, these acts of healing, these good acts that Jesus did was being perceived by the Pharisees as radical. Was being perceived by them as threats to their religion. And, and they plotted for his death and his destruction because Jesus did good on the Sabbath. Fascinating. So before we dive into this whole story and understand what exactly does this passage mean, let's first of all look at five liberating truths about the Sabbath. Five liberating truths about rest. Go back to the beginning, go to the origin of why did God establish a day of rest. Learn something from it, which I really believe would would help us. I look forward to this message because I... I, I, I know how busy most Singaporeans are. And I really believe that this word would set a lot of us free. So let's go back to, to the beginning. 
to the Garden of Eden to when God made man. And let's learn a few truths about Sabbath this morning. Five liberating truths about rest. Alright? Are you ready? Come on, say yes. Alright? The first truth is even God knew when enough was enough. Even God knew when enough was enough. God gave Moses the most important reason for why we are to take a Sabbath, the day of rest. In the book of Genesis chapter 1, uh, excuse me, in, in, the, in the book of Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11, the Bible says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but He rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now understand this, for six days God labored. Say, God labored. For six days God worked. When He lit up, Uh, the space with zillions of stars. When you look up this evening, if you go to a remote part of an island off the coast of Singapore, you would see zillions of stars that light up the night sky and the planets and the galaxies. And God shaped the earth with lava, dug the oceans, and He built towering mountains. He did all these amazing things. And then He spoke to... uh, he spoke to being the animals and he spoke to the, the, the sea creatures and the, uh, those that you can see and those too small for your, for your human eye. You know, God made all these incredible things. And they were perfect. The rainforests, the ice caps, the oceans teeming with, with life, the safaris in Africa with all kinds of animals. It's beautiful. And at the, each, at, at the end of each stage of creation, he looked at what he had made and he said, it is good. Friends, it's more than just good. This is incredible. The Bible tells us uh, in Psalm 19 verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. If you look around, the creation is beautiful. It tells us of God's handiwork. These are His work. He labored for six days. And of course, on the, on the sixth day, he saved the best for last. In the garden, he crafted mankind from the mud and a woman from the man's rib. Come on. And they were the apex of his creative genius. He looked at men and women and he said, it is very good. And finally, on the seventh day, he said, it's all finished. And God rested from his work. See, even God knew when enough was enough. In short, He put His tools away and the word rested is the Hebrew word Shabbat where we get the word Sabbath. And the word Shabbat means to stop, to quit, to cease, or to rest. And so God, after all this incredible, amazing creation, The apex of that is you and I. He rested. He's Shabbat. Another way of saying Shabbat is it is finished. Does that sound familiar? It is finished. That's exactly what Christ said on the cross when He completed His work and He said, it is finished and breathed His last breath. The work of redemption, finished. See, friends, a lot of us are perfectionists, especially if you grew up in Singapore, who think that we can never quite finish 
you know, the attention, the details. We, we need to pay close attention to all the final details. But God came to a point where He could say, it is good enough and He rested. See friends, in short, He knew when enough is enough. And that's our problem. Our problem as modern 21st century Singaporeans is that we never thought we have done enough. Whether it's in your job, whether it's as a parent, whether it's you know, in your recreation, even in your rest, you never thought that you've done enough. See friends, the artist has to know when another stroke on the canvas is one too many, right? I mean, some of you are designers and sometimes we can over-design something and make it look so complex. The writer has got to know when to bring the story to a close. Some of you may like Taiwanese drama. I don't really enjoy that, those dramas because 700 episodes. Come on, just end it. It's long-winded. Sorry if I'm stepping on some of you. You know, you love all these long dramas. I don't. I like the story to move a little bit faster and to come to a conclusion. 20 episodes, 30 episodes. There has to be a climax and the story must come to an end. Amen? The composer needs... To put in all the rest, imagine the whole time Amen. the music kept going and going. And that. So it's in those moments of rest that we could focus on the great and created one, uh, the creation, uh, the creator, excuse me. Amen. Amen. Music isn't nice when it's all, you need to have your rest and your, I, I forgot all my rudiments of music. When I, but you have to have all the rest. Amen. Come on. The preacher has to know when it's time to wrap up the sermon. A lot of us preach the everlasting sermon for two hours. We thought that the people need to get it. But it's to come, it, it, it will come to a place where we, have the, where we have got diminishing return. Just too much information, too much content. We need to know when to come to an end. The nagging spouse and the lecturer parent need to know when to shut up. And after a while, a good advice becomes nagging. Amen? See, friends, it's, it's important for us to know that sometimes enough is enough. Because God knew. He knew that He could put one more stroke, create a little bit more, but He rested on the seventh day. Amen? So, the first truth is even God knew when enough was enough. The second truth is rest is going from pleasing to trusting. Come on, rest is going from trying hard to please the people around us, God, to trusting. Let's read Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 10, please. It says here, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Some of you need to highlight verse 9. Six days you shall labor. Not you may or I suggest that you do. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath, Shabbat, rest, cease. To the Lord your God on it you shall not do any work. See friends, there are two parts to this command. The first part has to do with the other six days of the week. And the Bible tells us clearly on those days we are to labor. Amen? God put Adam and Eve in the garden to work in the garden. Work isn't a result of the fall. Work is something we do because we have been created in God's likeness. He is 
a worker. Friends, God is still at work today. If you sense God's presence just now, it's because the Holy Spirit is working. If you receive a revelation from the Word this morning, it's because the Holy Spirit is working. When you're walking down the road and you hear God's voice, Holy Spirit is working. He's guiding us. He's leading us. And even the Son of Man, Jesus, is still working. You thought after it is finished, He goes back to heaven and just sit there and play with angels? Far from it. The Bible tells us that He is making intercession for us at the right hand of God the Father. Do you know what Jesus is doing right now? He's praying for our service. He's praying that you will encounter God. He's praying that you will learn something from the Scripture. He's praying that you will make a decision to honor God on Sabbath. He's praying. He's praying that this truth would lodge in your spirit. He's praying for the unreached people's groups that are yet uh, to be brought in and they have not heard the gospel. He's praying for revival in your school, for transformation in your workplace. He's praying for Singapore. He is the eternal great intercessor and He is still working. For six days you will labor and so we are to work. In fact, Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, that if anyone doesn't work, neither should he eat. Amen? So there are people that are dependent on our work. All week long, we, we try our best to do a good job, to please our bosses, to you know, please our clients, to please uh, the people that we are working for, working with, to meet their needs. Amen. But there's a second part to this command. On the seventh day is when we understand that enough is enough. Verse 10 says, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, is Shabbat, is a pause unto the Lord. Amen. Come on. Amen. Amen. That day belongs to the Lord. In fact, in, in verse 8, we are to keep it holy, which means that we are to separate it, to make it different from our usual six days. So friends, by addressing both labor and rest in one verse, can I suggest to all of us that the command to Sabbath or to, or to Shabbat confronts two of the most common idols of our day. This one verse confronts two idols in us. Two of the most common idols of our day, whether, it's, whether you're from Melbourne or whether you're from Singapore or from the U.S., Anywhere you are from, these two are common idols, work and comfort. Amen. It's confronting the workaholics amongst us. And it's confronting the lazy ones amongst us. Take work to an extreme and you're a workaholic. Take play to an extreme and you are a comfortable, lazy person whom Paul says, then you don't eat. See, friends, some of us worship comfort. We rest too much, try to work as little as possible. Yet on the other hand, some of us worship work. We can't stop. We're always thinking of the next thing, what's next, you know, the, the next big plan, the next big killing. The, you know, we are always thinking we can't stop. Rest too little. And this fourth commandment, basically teaches us that we are not to live our lives for comfort, play, or recreation. But yet, on the other hand, we are not to live our lives and define our lives by our work. Instead, we are to work hard and rest regularly in worship to God. If you, if you lose this balance, that's when people either burn out or they become ineffective in life. Come on! But when we honor this principle... 
That's when all of us become life-giving believers. That, that's when all of us become salt and light in the world. Come on. So friends, I want to ask you this morning, are you a workaholic? And here's my definition of a workaholic. It's like an alcoholic, basically. The problem is not with work itself, friends. The problem is not even with alcohol, right? The problem is simply not knowing when to stop. An alcoholic just kept drinking. Even though he's drunk, he kept going and he became another person. Likewise, a workaholic doesn't know when to stop work. You bring back home, uh, work home and you pile it up. You're always thinking about work. If, if, if that's you, then you're a workaholic. And people are workaholics for different reasons. Some of us, it's due to the fear of losing our jobs. We thought if we don't work hard enough that we might lose our jobs. Or perhaps things aren't good at home for some of us and we prefer to bury ourselves in work. Yeah? I know people like that don't want to go home because of a nagging spouse or challenging children. And so you bury yourself at work. You throw yourself into work outside of the home. Or maybe it's because your identity, friends, is with your work and you want people to value you and you think maybe that you're indispensable. If you don't do it, no one else can. And you, and you think that you are the key to that next sale or to that you know, next level of... of uh, I'm trying to think of a word. Next level in your business or next level in that company. And you thought, that's it. But friends, Sabbath is when we trust Him. Let me explain that. The issue with, with the Shabbat is not whether we're working hard enough or we're not working. The issue of the Shabbat is where we trust Him to fix our world even when things fall apart, when we aren't working on it. Do we trust God to take a, to take a deep breath, to stop? Do we trust God? I'll talk more about that and... I believe God will speak to us from this message. I really sense it. As I was preparing, I asked myself a, a few questions to align my, my lifestyle to the Word. But do we trust Him? That things wouldn't go wrong if we don't work for one day. Not just in our career, but also in the family. Back at home. I'll explain that. See friends, just think about this. A, a Hebrew farmer in biblical days was the Sabbath, and he's on his way to the synagogue. It's harvest time, and the crops are all ready to be gathered, and he's going to let it, uh, to get on it tomorrow, because it's Sabbath. But he sees the thunderclouds flashing across the near horizon. Across the valley, he knows his Canaanite neighbors are frantically bringing in their crops. Now, what will the observant Jew do then? Will he continue to the, to the synagogue, trusting God to divert the storm clouds? Or if the hailstorm comes, trust God to minimize the damage? Or if he loses everything, to trust God that God will see him and, and his family through the coming winter? Or will he just say, oh, you know what, I'll just give my rest day a miss. I'll just go to the fields and start to harvest as much as possible. Surely God understands my family needs this harvest, you know, and I've been working so hard at, at it. And some of us think like that as Christians. Come on. It's, it's not a matter of pleasing God or working hard. It's a matter of trust. See, 
The Sabbath is such a radical concept that the people wanted to, to kill Jesus. <laughs> See, Jesus tells us not to worry. In fact, Jesus said, if our Heavenly Father feeds the birds of the air, even when they do not work for it, why won't He provide for us? We are more valuable than birds. He feeds the birds by grace. I'm sure He will do likewise for the rest of us here. Amen? Our worrying, our anxiety, cares add to nothing. I don't know whether you have watched the movie The Bridges of Spies. I enjoy it. Have you watched it, some of you? It was by Spielberg. Slow-moving movie. But one of the lines that, that kept repeating in that movie you know, is when James Donovan, the lawyer, you know, would ask Rudolf Abel, the Russian spy, who was sentenced to death, really, aren't you worried? Like three, four times, aren't you worried? And then with a straight, straight face, Rudolf Abel, the Russian spy, would just say, would it help? I love it. I mean, that was when God spoke to me from movies. Aren't you worried? And then he says, would it help? Worrying about your children's education, worrying about whether the church would grow, worrying whether about, you know, uh, we have got money for, you know, the next move, blah, blah, blah. Would it help if you worry? Would it help? Worrying doesn't help, yeah? Why do we worry? Do you know that it was such a test that when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they were to collect food, right? So God rained down manna and, and He rained down ravens, right? I mean, these are all... Is it ravens? Quail, excuse me. <laughs> ravens unclean. Quails! I'm testing your Bible knowledge. Come on, people. He rained down quails. It was a miracle. But then He says, on the Sabbath day, you will not go out and pick up manna. I'll supply double on Friday. The day before, I'll give you double. And do you know, for 38 years, God was faithful in doing that. He was, he, he was faithful. He says, eat you know, of your Sabbath. Next day, you know, eat uh, from, from the man. The next day, go and collect more. But on, the, but on the fifth day, on the sixth day, right, on Friday, I'll give you double portion. I'll give you a double portion. Why do you worry about whether you have got food to eat on Sabbath? You will have food. I'll provide for you. Trust me. I'm sure some of the Jews or the Israelites didn't trust God. They collect two portions, you know, <laughs> on a Thursday to try to store them and they turn, you know, and they turn into worms. Friends, trust God. It's a matter of trust. Are you a workaholic this morning? Most Singaporeans are. Trust God. I'll speak more into it in the next few points. Or perhaps you're addicted to comfort. And the Bible says we've got to work with all of the energy God gives to us. Yeah, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, Paul said, I work harder than any of them. See, Paul the Apostle, the preacher of grace, we've heard this many, many times. He's a hard worker. He wasn't lazy. He didn't just stand there and say, God, provide for my needs. He worked hard, but he knows that on the Sabbath day, he trusted and he rested. Amen? The third point. Rest comes when you give others a break. Because, see, unless you understand the first two principles that 
Even God knows enough is enough. And unless you, you are convinced, friends, that resting is a matter of trusting, you can't do the third thing. See, all these points layers over each other. Rest comes when you give others a break. See, verse 10 says, On that day, you shall, do, you shall not do any work. Easy. We don't work. But neither you nor your son and daughter, parents, nor your male and female servant, employers, nor your animals. I don't know how to interpret that. <laughs> don't walk your, your dog. I mean, I can't really... Nor any foreigner residing in your towns. See, I like what John Dryston, a 17th century British poet, uh, said when he made this cynical statement. He says, A good man never breaks the Sabbath, except... Of course, for his own gain. Verse 10 says, Not your children, not your helpers, not your animals or the foreigners. If you go to Israel today, the ultra-Orthodox ultra Jew wouldn't push a button on Sunday, on uh, Saturday, on, on, on Sabbath, in the elevator. But they would hire someone to push the buttons. They wouldn't drive on a Sabbath, but they will hire a driver to drive on Sabbath. If you go to a hotel on a Sabbath, there will be all these sumptuous Shabbat meals and the people who cooked it all foreigners. Work seven days, non-stop. As I was studying for this message, I realized that we Christians do the same. We say, oh, we honor the, the Sabbath. Yeah, we honor the, the Sabbath, but we don't give our house help a day off. That's wrong. That's not biblical. But Daniel, you don't understand. My, my children will get out of hand and they, I know, my house will be untidy. Do you trust God that when she comes back on Monday, she would do double the work? How do we apply that? Even your children. I know a lot of parents send their children for tuition on Sunday which is our Sabbath day, right? Seven days, six days we work on the seventh day we rest unto God. But Daniel, you don't know, they're so busy from Monday to Friday, Saturday, they, they go for ballets. The only free day is Sunday. So send them for tuition, send them for this makeup lesson, send them for this class. Do you trust God that perhaps His wisdom would be downloaded you know, onto your children and they would do better if you give them a day rest? Hello? I mean, this is so radical, which is why they wanted to stone Jesus. And we'll talk more about that at the end of this message. But do you trust God? Now, I want to make a confession. In the early days of our marriage, we didn't trust God. We didn't. Like most families with house help, we said, well, if we let them go off day, what if they learn the wrong things? What if... Uh, you know, they become lazy, make the you know, wrong friends. And so for the first four or five years, no rest. We'll give you extra. We'll give you extra, $20 more. Feel that just work for us, work for us. And we think that by giving them more money, we can keep them in the house. Can I suggest to you that we are violating biblical principles? Will we trust God? What, what about yourself? You have to go back to work. 
If I don't go back to work on Sunday, I can't get the job done by Monday. I've got to work. I must. Or, better still, some of you have got assistants, right? Your employees. And you tell them, if I'm your boss, no rest. All right, you can go home, work from home from Sunday, but you're always on, on call. If my text message comes, if you don't return my message in, you know, you will lose your job. You won't stand for the next promotion. And some of us are bosses like, like that. By letting other people rest is us trusting God to take care of all of our needs. Amen? Yep, Shabbat. No enough is enough. I, I've made my point, all right? But rest comes when you give others a break. Give your children a break. Come on, parents. Give your employees a break. Amen? Number four. Rest is knowing that the rest is taken care of. I love this. Rest is knowing that the rest is taken care of. Let's read Exodus chapter 31, verse 13, please. The Bible says, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for generations to, to, to come, so that you may know I am the Lord who makes you holy. Underline the last phrase. I am the Lord who makes you holy. Note these words. The, the Shabbat is God's sign that He has made a promise to His people. So every Sabbath day, you are to remember this single promise. Friends, listen carefully. You must remember every time you worship that the Lord is the one who makes us holy. I am the Lord who makes you holy. So what's my point here? Rest in the finished work. Rest in the finished work. We don't make ourselves holy, friends. God declares us holy because Jesus was holy. And from the moment we trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, God sees us as holy. Then He sets about uh, a plan to make us holy through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Holiness is not about us striving to keep all the rules of religion to please Him. We can't produce our own holiness. Whatever meager amount we do to try to conjure up will fall short of this glory. Friends, the way to holiness is to depend on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Do you know why a lot of uh, believers fail to inherit the promises? They thought they could, they could work for the promise. Now, we have to co-labor together with the Lord, but they thought that the fulfillment of the promise depends on them. Friends, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19 tells us why Israel did not enter into the promised land. Their promise, their problem was the same thing that keeps all of us Christians today from enjoying the total full benefits of our salvation. Do you know, do, do you know what the problem is? Hebrews three nineteen, The problem is unbelief. A lack of faith comes back to the same point again. We don't trust God, that He's for us, He's not against us. We don't trust that He, that he will make all things to work together for the good for those who love Him. We, we don't trust Him. Unbelief. See, God promised a land flowing with milk and honey, a land with homes that are already built. Incredible story. Waiting for their occupancy. A land with large water wells already dark for the children of Israel. A land of 
incredible, extraordinary vegetation. And the list goes on and on and on. And all they had to do is to rest in the finished work by going in in faith to possess all that God has promised. But we don't. We have unbelief. And we thought, uh, God, I've got to strive and keep on trying. Friends, no, we rest in what Jesus Christ has already done. That's the tragic for many believers. I thought I could work myself up to become a great Christian. You can't. You trust that He will make you one. You surrender. And I, I, I meet so many Christians who are under the guilt and, the, and under the weight of uh, performance. So many. But from my life, I tell you, friends, it's when I recognize that God is already pleased with me and I am His beloved. When I recognize that I'm His son, that from that place of confidence flows my identity and I become more and more like Jesus. And I tell you, God did so much in that two, three years than the, the first 15 years of my Christian life put together. Rest and trust at that, that the rest has already been taken care of. Amen? Amen? Come on, rest. It's a matter of trust. See, Sabbath is a matter of trust. Do you trust God? Do you trust God that He will build a great marriage? And then you come alongside Him to co-labor together with Him, to hear God and to simply obey what He says to you and not trying so hard to make it happen. For your business, do you trust God? Or do you think that it's all by your own striving? Or do you believe that for every Christian here, if you believe God has called you into that business, that He will lead you into fruitfulness and into abundance? Do you trust God that in your work, if God has led you to a particular vocation that He will promote you, that your promotion comes from the Lord, not from men? Do you trust God that you know, because God has given you children, that God has already precious promises for your children and you simply have to say, Amen, God, and you walk into it? Or do you worry? Rest in knowing that the rest is taken care of. I don't know about you, but I say this to my wife very often. I, I, I know parents who are so concerned about their children's studies, their education, but do you trust that they will end up fine? Look at my life. Look at Jason. I grew up with this young man, right? I was so worried. But look at him. A fine young man. I was concerned about my son. When he was a young boy, will he do well in life? And, and I was so encouraged by my son. Just this week, he came to me and said, Dad, in my cell group, and he has got this little cell that he started in, in our house. Nine people, he said. There are 13, but uh, that, that, that day, four or five of them came and we were praying and I was preaching from a sermon that I listened to from Joyce Meyer, Let God Fight Your Battles. And he said, when I was sharing that, one of my friends felt a heat in his stomach, you know, and I, you know, I think God is, God is really encountering him. And I, I was hearing him say, boy, you are 13 years old. But I tell you, I've done nothing except to encourage him in seeking God and go after him. And friends, he will do well in life. Parents, your children whom the Lord has given to you as gifts will do well in life. Amen. Employees, because God has provided that job for you, that you have favor, you will be promoted, you will have increments, you will do well. It doesn't mean that you don't work hard, 
but work trusting that you are just walking into the precious promises God has made for your life. Amen? My last point as I come to a close. Rest is a God-directed activity. Or rest, if I could rephrase that, is taking care of the restless. And, and that brings me back to the first passage that we read. See, Jesus constantly got himself into trouble for doing good on Sabbath, for healing the sick, for feeding the hungry, and for that, it cost him his life for doing good. Because the re- religious folks thought that rest means I do nothing. No, it doesn't mean that you do nothing on Sabbath. Rest is not inactivity, my friends. Rest is God-directed activity. It's to allow God to direct you. So what exactly has God directed us to do on Sunday? Worship. Be in fellowship. Care for one another. Use your talent, time and treasure to serve others. That's not work. That's part of your redemptive uh, calling in life is my responsibility is to serve on Sunday. Am, am I working today? To be really honest, I don't think that this is, this is work. It's a call, it's a grace on my life and I'm just simply resting by serving. It's a God-directed activity. Do you know that seven of Jesus' miracles were done on Sabbath? See, rest doesn't mean that we wall ourselves off from a hurting world. Rest doesn't mean that we keep ourselves from fellowship. The reason why the Sabbath was instituted is because for six days we've got no time to enjoy our friends, to enjoy you know, one another, to enjoy the blessings. But on the seventh day is when we set that time apart first unto the Lord, where we worship together as a family, where we enjoy one another, we go for lunch, we talk about His kingdom, we share testimonies, we share breakthroughs, we share prayer requests you know, from our from our six days of laboring. That's what rest is, friends. But the religious folks totally misunderstood. They thought that rest means we do nothing. No. Rest is God-directed. So as I conclude this morning, friends, I want to say this. We must be intentional and be disciplined when it comes to the Sabbath. Make a decision. I want all of us this morning as we conclude this series, as we talk about rest, to make three decisions. Number one, come to church every Sunday. Allow your children to enjoy their off days on Sunday. We give them their phones back on Sunday and say, play all all you want. We used to watch, you know, we didn't have a TV before four years ago. So, so they would go to, to my parents' place and they would watch the Hutz content TV. Of course, healthy movies, healthy, he- healthy cartoons. But come to church, be in fellowship because it brings refreshing. Make a point to be in fellowship. It's amazing, friends, how easily we tend to turn something that's meant for our benefit first into a duty, then into a legalistic command. Church attendance is one of those things. You must come. No, you don't, you don't have to. But choose. Because you understand the importance of Sabbath. Choose to come on Sunday. Choose to be in fellowship. It's a good thing for God to refresh you. Amen? Number two, know when it's time to stop work. 
Go home, take that holiday, but at the same time, don't live for the beach. <laughs> and one of the best advice my wife gave to me, really, you know, I, I was so driven as a young pastor, right? I thought that the church depends on me. I can't stop. I must always be so, and I, I was so disciplined. Every Wednesday, I'll text every one of you. By Sunday, I'll, you know, uh, after the sermon, I'll look around, people who, who are missing, I'll text them, how are you doing? We miss you in church. I must always be doing my pastoral duty. Weekends, you know, uh, if, I'm no, if I'm not in Singapore, you know, on a mission trip, and I'll be checking in, how are you guys do, doing? I was like, always on the go. Come on, go, 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 go. And there was one time, I, I was coming back from India and you know, it was a red-eye flight. Most Indian flights are red-eye flight and I got to spend like six hours in Bangkok. We were flying the cheapest flight then, you know, and uh, I was in Cornerstone and it was like watch night day, right? The last day of the year. And I came back, straight away we went to the service and I was so tired. And I started one of those years striving, trying very hard to please God. But two years ago, my wife said to me, maybe in 2014, let's take the, the last few days of the year off. Take a break. We'll go for a vacation. We'll do nothing but sleep, enjoy one another, eat. Local tourists will go around the museums. And we did that last year. And you wouldn't believe this. 2015 has been the best year of my life for the longest time. We said to our children, don't call us. We'll call, we'll call you if we, if we miss you, but don't call us. Can we come and swim in the pool? No, you can't. It's just for me and mom. We'll seek God together, plan for next year, what we want to do, pray together. But I tell you, 215 has been amazing. And so now we look forward to the last four days of this year. We'll take, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take off from work, from children, from activity, and we'll do God-directed activity. Eat together, enjoy one another, read a book together. And I tell you, that has been incredible. I want to strongly encourage all, all of us. Don't be a workaholic. Don't be a slave to your work. Amen? Last but not least, build a rhythm in. That's my point of work, rest, and play. Amen? And we'll have a healthy church. If we can all make a decision this morning, Daniel... I honor God on Sunday. It's my rest day. I'll give my helpers off. I'll give my children off. I'll give myself off. I mean, it's really okay if the kids are misbehaving on Sunday. It's really okay if the house is messy on Sunday. It's really okay if they don't study on Sunday. It's really, really okay. Because it's a matter of trust. I mean, I know this is a different kind of message, but I'm pastoring you this morning. And I really believe that if we get this rhythm correct, that you will live a very fruitful life. I'll end by saying this. I once asked Heidi Baker, one of my heroes, a friend, an incredible woman of God, how do you plant 10,000 churches? And you're always going to the bush-bush. When do you rest? And she said this, no, I live my life in a rhythm. Three hours. Rest, uh, run, rest, release and I said tell me more run there'll be seasons of life where you run and there'll be seasons when you rest but the key is releasing it so parents 
release your children to the Lord. Amen. Workers, employers, release your work to the Lord. Church, release this church to the Lord. Amen. And release and trust Him. Amen. So let's all stand to our feet.